That means it's time for us to start. Seems like I noticed uh, one or two of the kids' teachers says they were short-handed tonight. I guess if they're kind of short, we are too, aren't we? So I guess a lot of people are out of town, or they've been coming to this class a lot and don't want to come back. I don't know. We'll see. But we're glad to have uh, all of you here tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. It's always a joy. Uh, to welcome you. I do want to encourage you to get a bulletin. It's got a lot of information there uh, that's important. Of course, uh, I'm not going to mention all the sick, but you can look in the bulletin there and check it out. Uh, we do want to remember the family of Sister Verlin Davis, uh, who passed away on Monday night. That visitation is going to be tomorrow at 1. Funeral is going to be at 2 at Macmillan Funeral Home. And please remember, we're going to feed the family. 
following the funeral in the annex, and there's a list in the back that you need to sign up if you'd like to bring food or would bring fruit tomorrow. Uh, please uh, remember that. So let's remember that family in our prayers, and others have had losses as well. We want to remember each of these in our prayers. Before we get started tonight, let's begin with a prayer. Will you bow with me? A merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the day, the rain you've blessed us with. We realize that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and we're thankful for your bountiful blessings, both physically, materially, but most importantly, those spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. We're mindful of those who've lost loved ones. We think about the Berlin Davis family. We pray that you would comfort and strengthen them during this difficult time, and especially uh, as they go through the service tomorrow. We pray for others that continue to grieve over the loss of loved ones. We know that's difficult, but we're thankful that you can give us peace and hope through your word. We're also mindful of many that are sick, that are going through difficult times. We pray that your hand of, of healing and comfort would be upon them as well and with the doctors that are seeing to their needs. We're thankful for the church here at Boonville. We're, we pray that we'll continue to uh, realize our individual responsibilities, that we represent you and the church here everywhere we go, and may we try to glorify you in all things. And it's in your name, it's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen. All right, of course, we're going to talk about Jacob tonight. And Jacob and Esau, we have mentioned in the past about uh, the trauma that went, in, went on inside Rebecca before the children were born. You know, they seem to be getting after each other. I, you know, sometimes kids are very funny in school uh, or wherever they may be. A teacher at school, uh, I think it was kindergarten or first grader, said, kids, where, what does the chicken give you? Well, the student said meat. One of them did. Very good. Now, what does the pig give you? Another kid said bacon. Another one hollered ham. Great. What does the fat cow give you? And that child spoke up and said homework. <laughs> of course, uh, he got himself in some trouble over that one, you know. But anyhow. But kids are funny. All right. We're studying about Jacob tonight and... Uh, I think there's a lot of things that we can learn that will be benefit us from his life. Uh, Jacob was the son of who? Who? Isaac, okay. He's the grandson of who? Abraham. Uh, Jacob's mother was... Huh? Who was Jacob's mother? Rebecca? You think they called Rebecca for short? I don't know if it did or not, but anyhow, it's Rebecca. Uh, who was his twin brother? Esau. We, yeah, we talked about him last week. And so we're going to study Jacob not as the head of the Israelite nation, but we're going to study him tonight just as a, a simple human personality. Uh, Jacob had weaknesses and fears common to all humanity. He's no different from any one of us, and I think we need to understand that. Uh, Jacob had some very excellent and admirable qualities, but he also had some qualities that weren't so excellent as well. And as we study the life of Jacob, as we are doing several other characters, we need to seek to avoid his mistakes, but yet try to consciously imitate his good qualities. Uh, we want to learn from him, 
uh, as a human being that can teach us lessons. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, uh, those things written aforetime were written for what? They were written for our learning and our admonition. And so that's why we study these things as well. All right, I, wanna, I don't want to run too short on time tonight, so let's get into our lesson. As we think about Jacob, he believed in God's promises, but he seemingly had little faith in God's ability to make those promises good. Now, there's nothing that Jacob could have done or Esau could have done or even Isaac and Rebekah to keep the promise that God had made that uh, the younger would be the stronger and that he would rule over the older. There's nothing that Jacob and Esau could have done uh, to either enhance that or stop that. It was going to happen one way or another. But it seems like that maybe Jacob had trouble actually believing that God would do what he said. You think about how he took advantage of Esau when he came in. He was exhausted. Remember the story in Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 through 31? Uh, Jacob had Esau in a predicament, and Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Can you imagine that? You see, Jacob was taking advantage of opportunity. Now, he was going to have the birthright regardless of whether Esau sold it to him or not. But the point is, you know, Jacob had to kind of intervene. Also, uh, when you think about uh, the decision or the description of Israel and what was going to happen as far as the future and the deception that took place with Isaac. Uh, you know, Rebecca knew what was going on. She heard Isaac tell Esau, you know, go out and get me the kind of wild meat that's good, you know, that I like and that I desire. And we know the trickery we talked about last week that uh, Rebecca and Jacob pulled on his older father, Isaac. Uh, but Jacob still would have received that blessing even if he had not deceived his father. It just seems like, yes, I believe in God's promises, but <laughs> I'm going to do what I can to make sure they come to pass. Maybe God needs a little help here. Uh, I think there's a lesson we can learn from that in that many today believe Christ can save them. But I think they have more confidence in their own system of salvation than in God's way of salvation. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 10, 1 through 4, talked about people who had a zeal for God, and we admire that, don't we? But not according to knowledge. You know, it's one thing for a person to really be on fire and say, I want to do this for God, and I want to do that for God, but not really have a knowledge of God's will to make sure that God would approve that or not. You know, we can admire sincerity and zeal in a number of people professing various kinds of religious beliefs. But that zeal needs to be guided and tempered by a knowledge of God's Word. Paul goes on to say they being ignorant of God's righteousness... They go about trying to establish their own righteousness. And, you know, we could give some, many examples of this. For example, there are strong uh, religious beliefs that advocate faith only today. You know, just believe in Jesus Christ and accept Him into your heart and you'll be saved. Uh, that's a very common teaching and a very common religious practice today. And yet, 
the only place in the Bible that the book that the that the phrase faith only is mentioned is in James chapter two, verse twenty-four, I believe. And it says, not by faith only. And of course, we could read the entire chapter there, and it becomes very, very simple to understand there. Another one that's very, very popular that kind of just drives me nuts is this praying the sinner's prayer. You know, I don't know about you, I've actually posted, I've filmed or videoed uh, <clears throat> Franklin Graham's uh, video that he shows to people all over the country today on television. It's an ad. You know, we've got a sin problem in this world today. Sounds good, you know, all the way till almost the end. And, you know, Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us from our sins. That's true. That's true. But you have to have a remedy for your sins. And I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. You pray this prayer with me and, you know, accept Jesus into your heart and you can be saved. Now, I wonder how many honest folks, sincere folks, believe that just because he said it. You know, you cannot find one single example of anybody in the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, being told to pray a prayer in order to be saved. It's just simply not there. That's, that's a good point. That's exactly right. Uh, Luther makes a very good point. Paul prayed three days after you know, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. He prayed for three days and he wasn't saved, was he? Ananias still had to come and tell him the words by which he could be saved. And that's a... Do what? Rise, why are you tearing? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But that's a very popular notion today. In other words, people believe that God can save them and they believe that Jesus Christ can forgive sin, but they go about doing things their own way in a way that is not in accordance with God's will. And of course, there's a very prominent belief throughout the world today in unconditional election. That is, God has predetermined who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. And if you've been predestined to be lost, you're just out, right? Uh, you know, you're not going to be saved no matter what you do. If you're predestined to be saved, there's no way you can lose it. And uh, that's a very, very popular idea among many people today. Of course, we could talk about other things tonight and go on and on. For example, baptism. I don't know why baptism becomes such a controversial issue in the religious world. I know it probably has to do with man-made traditions that have been handed down over a period of time, but a lot of people will advocate that you're saved and then you're baptized later on, you know, because you've been saved. Uh, that's a very popular notion. Uh, but that's something that we need to understand. The Bible simply does not teach. The Bible always, in every situation, particularly in the uh, examples in Acts 2, the Bible places baptism always before salvation. One is never saved and then baptized later on. And you could even take the words of Jesus, for example, in Mark 16, 15, and 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Arise, be baptized, and 
wash away your sins. And so we could just continually talk about this idea for the rest of the night. So what I'm trying to say here is Jacob was going to receive the blessing no matter what. But he just didn't quite believe God could do it on his own and he thought he ought to improvise. Uh, some have enough faith in the Bible, I think, today to become Christians, but they really don't have enough faith to make them live right after they become Christians. And so uh, our faith in God is always an active faith, an obedient faith. All right, let's move on to the second lesson we can learn, and that is Jacob was a product of his home environment. And I believe that's true of most people today, aren't, isn't it? Most people are the product of how they grew up and what they were taught in the home. Uh, that's what Satan desires so much. He attacks the home today. He's good at it, isn't he? You just look at the attacks that are taking place on the home today. Yeah, just in the last couple of years, the, the, the home that consisted of a father and a mother and the children is now in the minority. That's unbelievable, isn't it? But that's the truth in our country today. That's now in the minority. And uh, you think about the attacks on the home. You think about what government is trying to do to our children. You think about some of this uh, gender and transgender uh, teaching. They're even trying to put on elementary students. It's unbelievable some of the things that people want to teach. And so, you know, parents have a huge responsibility and young people grow up, children grow up, and they become by and large what their parents have taught them to be. If parents uh, demonstrate faithfulness to God in their worship, they demonstrate faithfulness to God in their service, then the likelihood is very strong that those children are going to be the same way. And so he was the product of his home environment. Now in Jacob's home environment, each parent had a pet, right? One parent favored one child, another parent favored the other child. I tried to find this video so bad, I was going to actually show it to you tonight. Uh, about a year or so ago, it was probably less than a year ago, you know, Jody had to go to shopping at Belk's, and she asked me, do you want to meet me and Riley there? Her and Riley were going to go to Belk's. Well, me and Riley went to Belk's with her, and she shopped. We played hide-and-go-seek, you know, in the store. You know, we had, we had a good time, you know. It wasn't busy at all, but, she, you know, she'd run here, and we'd play there and whatever. And I, Just out of the blue, I was having a video. She jumped on one of those beds, you know, those model beds they have there, you know, with the, the bedding for sale. And all of a sudden, she got off of it, and she just walked over, and she said, Gramps, who's your favorite, me or Grandma? I got that on video. It's great, you know. Well, I told her that's probably a tie, you know, so we kind of have that as a joke today, you know. Who's your favorite, me or your brother Eli? You know, he'll always say something beside me to get at me, you know. But anyhow, I just thought that out of the blue. Nothing even set that up. She just... Got off that bed and said, Gramps, who's your favorite? Me or Grandma? Just like that. But uh, it was a problem there in the home of Jacob and Esau, wasn't it? Uh, Isaac strongly favored uh, Esau and Rebekah strongly favored Jacob. And these kind of partialities are bound to work mischief, aren't they? And they always do. 
there's a lot of resentment that takes place in the family, and uh, you can imagine the perceived partiality that was always there, you know, when decisions were made or maybe when corrections were made uh, toward the children, that was a problem. Now, in Isaac's case, his partiality uh, led him to disregard God's selection of Jacob to have the superior place, didn't it? You know, Isaac wanted to bless Esau. And uh, because of that favoritism, uh, he tried to implement something else. Uh, in Rebekah's, it led to falsehood and deceit, didn't it? Uh, she taught Jacob to lie. She taught Jacob to deceive his poor old blind father, didn't she? You see? And so there was just chaos there. Jacob had to leave home uh, after Isaac died for fear of his life. And you could just imagine the brokenness that took place in that home because of that partiality. And so we need not wonder at the son when we see parents acting in that same kind of way. You know, it, it's kind of, I, I don't want to use the word humorous, but it's amazing sometimes when parents ask about their grown children. You know, why have they forsaken the way of the Lord? When if those parents might look in the mirror, they might see the reason why. That they weren't faithful in their service. They were inconsistent. You know, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, that's a general rule. There are exceptions to that rule, you know. Uh, I think about one family that had four boys in it. Three of them became preachers. The other's in prison. I mean, sometimes, you know, adults make their own choices sometimes. And so, but that's the general rule. You train up a child in the way he should go, he'll not depart from it. And so... Jacob was a product of his home environment. Number three, Jacob's faith was overshadowed by his earthliness and his selfishness. Uh, I wonder about the promise that Jacob made at Bethel in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, turn over there to Genesis chapter 28. I want to read a few verses there. And we read about the, the, the promise Jacob made at Bethel and we wonder if his concern was for God, simply that God would bless him maybe materially. But if you look at verse 10 of Genesis chapter 28, it says that Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place. He stayed there at night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now this is a story that I remember being taught as a very small child. I remember the illustration, you know, that was put up on the board about that ladder with the angels going up and down. I can remember that like it was yesterday. It's probably 50 years ago. Anyhow, verse 12 says, Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. That reminds us of Abraham's promise right in Genesis 12. And he goes on to say, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. 
for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, that's the kind of trust we need to have in the Lord, right? He's not going to leave us until He fulfills His promises. So we can bank on that today. He said, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. And notice what he said here. Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There's none other like the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head. You know, if you could come out, if y'all could find that stone, it'd probably bring a pretty good penny on eBay, you know, that stone that Jacob used for a pillow that night. But uh, anyhow, uh, the Bible says he took that stone that he had put under his head and set it for a pillar, pouring oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, notice what he said here, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Notice his focus seems to be on material things, doesn't it? I'm not trying to judge his intentions and so forth, but you'll see a change in his character as we go. But right now, he's concerned about the material aspect of those blessings. He said, Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth unto you. You know, this vision here of the ladder and the promise to Abraham and Isaac is now given to Jacob. Jacob receives this promise directly from God, in that dream. And of course, I just believe that his faith was overshadowed somewhat by his focus on selfish things and material things. And, uh, you know, a lot of people today in religious circles focus primarily on the prosperity that it offers. We hear a lot about a prosperity gospel. You know, you hear evangelists, so-called evangelists all the time, you know, say, you know, you give your life to the Lord, you send in money to us, and God's going to bless you. You know, God's going to bless you. It's all focused on material gain. You'll get out of debt, you know. You'll prosper physically and materially. You'll have great wealth. But that wealth and prosperity, gospel is a lie. Now, it's true that God's going to bless us, right? But... We don't do what God says in order to achieve financial wealth and prosperity. I believe God blesses those who have faith in Him and trust in Him, generally speaking, because the Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Matthew 6, 33, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, God promises us, promises us what we need and not necessarily what we want, right? And so... Uh, this idea that so many people... I've seen people and know of people that could just barely make ends meet financially. And they'll send every last dime they have to some preacher who's told them that they're going to be well off financially if they'll contribute to their ministry. You know, that's why you see some of these so-called televangelists living in million-dollar homes and houses and 
You know, they have prosperity running out their ears and so forth. And of course, those kinds of folks never preach on sin. They never preach on things that are just right and wrong. Uh, they just preach on general types of principles. You know, you might call it feel-good psychology. And that's all that they get. I know uh, Joel Osteen, who we all are, are familiar with, uh, he made a comment in an interview that he doesn't preach on sin. He makes it a point never to preach on doctrine because he just don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers at all. But isn't that a disservice to people when you have that attitude? Right. the oracles of God. But, you know, you're doing people a disservice. In fact, that's worse than, you know, getting your medicine from the doctor and going to the pharmacist and that pharmacist gives you something else that he sees fit, right? Not even taking into account what it might be. I mean, somebody like that, that'd make the news, wouldn't it? So that person would go to prison. Well, religiously, some people make those same kind of promises as well. And so, let's understand that uh, religion that emphasizes material gain is false. Now, the next 20 years are spent in Padam Iran, and he was faithful to his various trusts that he made to God, and I think that's to its credit. Now, I can't help but kind of feel sorry for him when Laban deceived him with that marriage. Y'all recall, we haven't got time to talk about it, but, you know, he, the Bible says he loved Rachel. He worked seven years for her. The Bible says the reason he did it is because of the love he had for her. But on the wedding night, who's there instead of Rachel? Now, what are y'all going to do if that woman that you thought you married wasn't the one you married on your wedding night, right? That's kind of puzzling, right? And uh, Jacob, I'm sure, was very upset about that. And you kind of feel sorry for him, but did he not get what kind of was coming to him in a way? Hadn't he lied and deceived his father? Right? He had lied and deceived his father. Now he's being deceived somewhat. And... Uh, of course, he worked seven more years, totaling 14 years, so that he could have Rachel as well. Uh, someone has said that Jacob feared God, and he took care of number one. God is not cast off, but self is uppermost. And the question we have to ask ourselves as we think about Jacob is, uh, what position does God occupy in my life tonight? What position... Is God truly in my life? As I look at my checkbook, as I look at the time that I spend in the Lord's work, as I become involved in serving others, as I serve God, you know, all these things are indication of what truly is first in our lives. And so we need to learn from Jacob that particular point. Now, Jacob made a change which gave a new phase to his character. Now, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 32 for just a minute. I want to read there briefly, beginning in verse 1. And I want us to read a few verses there so that we can get uh, a view of what's going on. In Genesis 32 and verse 1, the Bible says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the camp of that place 
Mahananam, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, now keep in mind, Jacob's trying to go home. Thus says your servant Jacob. That's kind of a unique thing, isn't it, right? All everything else had pointed to Esau being the servant, right, of Jacob. Now Jacob says, I'm your servant. Uh, Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. He sent all these gifts to them. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We have come to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. Uh Uh-oh. And there are 400 men with him. Scary, isn't it? I mean, Jacob is shuddering in fear. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him, and he divided them into two companies. And we know the story about how that uh, Jacob and Esau uh, ultimately met. The Bible goes on to say, you know, he, he, he divided it into their flocks and herds to two camps. He thought here in verse 8, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the other camp, the other party can escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, O God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Notice what he said there, right? When he left, what? He left on the run by himself, only the staff. And now he's coming back with what? He's so large in number, he's got two different camps now. Very wealthy man. He said, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. So what's he thinking now? Esau's fixing to get his revenge, right? It's going to be ugly. Uh, Please deliver me from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. Uh, the mothers with the children, but you said I will surely do you good. He's kind of reminding God of what he promised. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for our multitude. And so the Bible says he stayed there that night, and from uh, what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 12 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. Is that a lot? Those of you that live on the farm, that's a pretty good amount of stuff, right? Uh, Then he handed over to his servants and every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when he saw my brother meet you and ask you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And those are these ahead of you. You shall say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed uh, the second and third and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you shall find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind you. For he thought I might appease him, right? Gradually. He's going to get these gifts now. If he's still angry, maybe... You'll calm down a little bit with a lot more gifts. 
he said, uh, I might appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. And of course, uh, we could read on about how that night he stayed by himself and he wrestled with God. Now, he sent word to Esau that he was returning. And he received word that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. And there was that threat, that great threat that Esau was going to do Jacob and his family harm. And uh, verses 24 through 32, which I'm not going to take the time to read tonight, talk about how he wrestled with an angel. Now, it's interesting that at this particular point, he knows he's not capable of handling any more his own situation. You know, up until now, it seems like Jacob's been equal to the task, right? I can do this on my own. And maybe he could uh, congratulate himself on his ingenuity when he had accomplished something. But now, things are different, and Jacob knows he must totally depend upon God. You notice his prayer here. Well, yeah, I'm just saying he tried to improvise, but he's depending on God now, whereas before... You know, he's kind of putting it on his shoulders. Uh, it reminds, he reminds the Lord that it was his idea. God, God, it's your idea for me to return to my home country. You know, you got me into this in verse 9. His attitude is commendable because he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have showed unto your servant. For with myself I passed over this Jordan, and now I become two bands. And of course, he makes his request, right? Uh, in verse 11, please deliver me from Esau. And he reminds God himself of God's promise. God, you, you, you remember what you promised me, right? Now, you, you don't, don't, don't forget that. And if you want to know what real prayer is, you find one that's in dire need of some blessing he cannot possibly obtain for himself and he's got to depend on God for, you're going to find out exactly what real prayer is all about. You know, when we become totally dependent upon God, we'll find ourselves on our knees in prayer. And that night he wrestled with the angel, and God brought this to pass to impress upon Jacob that he could be and would be victorious if he would persevere. Now, this is the only person that I read about that ever fought with God. You know what I mean? You know, and uh, uh, he did a pretty good job. I know God let him win. You know, you hear about... Uh, somebody siblings let somebody win or a parent let a child win. But uh, he was taught that he could persevere. And uh, we need to learn we can persevere. Jacob was taught that lesson uh, through wrestling with the angel that he could persevere. And the Bible tells us, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall... Reap if we don't lose heart, if we don't faint. So it's not necessarily how we begin the Christian life. It's how we end, right? He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved, right? It's not the one who has a fast beginning and then, you know, he's gone, for, he forsakes the Lord. It's the one that keeps on keeping on. Jesus said, no man having uh, looked back, you know, is fit for the kingdom of heaven, putting his hand to the plow and looking back. Is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, Jacob now has a change in his character in this phase of his life. Now, I've got a couple of minutes to do these last two. Jacob's name is changed from Jacob to Israel. 
Israel means prince of God. And uh, that change in name is descriptive of a change in the man. Uh, he now has power with God. He's now submissive to the will of God. He fully believes now that God can accomplish what He's promised. He's now more focused on the spiritual aspect of things rather than material aspects of things. And names are important. That's why His name was changed to Israel. And I wish we could talk more about that. Uh, let's move on to the last point quickly. Jacob journeys in joy and happiness to Egypt where he lives out his days. Uh, Jacob is now able to see the meaning of his tears and sorrows. Uh, you know, you can imagine the heartbreak he felt when he thought Joseph had been killed, right, by wild animals. He sent Joseph to check on his brothers, and what did his brothers do? They sold him into slavery, and what did they do, though, to deceive their father? They dipped his garments in wild animals' blood, and Jacob just knew that his precious son had been devoured, right, by wild animals. And it was only until later on, through the providence of God, that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And you can imagine the joy. Can you imagine thinking your child had been dead for all those years, knowing for sure he's not alive, and then finding out that he's actually alive? And we know the story about how Joseph uh, was being true to what God wanted him to do. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And uh, on his way to Egypt, he paused at Beersheba, the old home place. Uh, no strife is there now. God speaks to him again. He tells him to go to Egypt to find peace and without fear. And God renewed the promise to him. He renewed the promise to Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 49, we read of this patriarchal counsel to his children we read about how he talked to those children. He spoke of his death. And verse 33 says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered his feet into the bed, yielded up the ghost, and was gathered unto his people. And so it is. That's how Jacob's life ended. And so we see the evolution of a man over a period of time, right? Uh, one that, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm going to help God out along the way till a man that fully trusted in God and submitted to God's will. And uh, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from him. I appreciate your attention tonight. As it's true with all these characters, it's hard to go into detail. It, it, the story is interesting about Laban and how Jacob was able to obtain his wealth while he was at Laban's house. That's interesting. Uh, Jacob being reunited with Joseph is a wonderful account that we could look into much further. So... I uh, hate we're not able to be as comprehensive about these characters as we would like to be, but hopefully we can learn some lessons that can help us. I thank you very much for your attention tonight.
to thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my time for us to go and get started tonight if we can. We are so thankful that you're here tonight. Uh, it's always good to see everybody talking and enjoying one another's company, and that's one of the many reasons why we assemble like we do, to be able to uh, encourage one another, and we're so glad you've chosen to be here tonight. Uh, we have some announcements tonight. Please uh, be sure and get one of the bulletins before you leave, and uh, it has an update on those that are sick. We do extend our deepest sympathy to the family of Sister Verlin Davis, who passed from this life on Monday night. Uh, the visitation is going to be tomorrow uh, afternoon at 1 o'clock. The funeral will be at 2 o'clock at Macmillan Funeral Home here in Boonville. Uh, we are going to feed the family tomorrow in the annex following the funeral. And there's a sign-up sheet in the back foyer to bring food if you can, and so please take a look at that and uh, sign up to bring food uh, tomorrow uh, for the family. Now, this coming Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, we're going to have something I believe that's going to be very special. All teens through adult classes are going to meet here in the auditorium for a special presentation. Brother Glenn Newton, who is the Director of Organizational Advancement at Herald of Truth, is going to be speaking to us about an opportunity to evangelize, not overseas, but right here in this community. This is something that all of us can be involved in, and I'm just as excited. I really don't know what it's going to be all about exactly myself, and uh, I hope we're going to have a good number here on Sunday night to listen to this presentation. I don't think you'll want to miss it, so try to be here if possible. Also, there's going to be a Bible class teachers meeting on Sunday, July the 31st at 3.30 p.m. in the Annex. There's also a bridal shower table set up in the foyer for Crystal Jackson, the bride-elect of Tristan Michael. So please take note of that. Our food pantry and clothes closet will be open tomorrow as well as next Thursday. And the pantry item that you're requested to bring this week is saltines. I do hope you'll make your plans to be back here on Sunday. We'll have uh, worship at 9.30, and then on Sunday evening, we'll meet together here in the auditorium for that special session, and I hope you'll determine and make it a point to be here this coming Lord's Day. For our devotional tonight, Gibson Foster is going to be leading our singing, and Adam Carlson will dismiss us in prayer. The invitation, uh, the invitation song tonight is 948, I Am Resolved. The first song we'll be singing, though, is Victory in Jesus, 470. Victory in Jesus. I'll be singing the first and the last verse. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came
For just a moment or two tonight, I want you to think about who is at the controls of your life. You know, if life is a flight through time, who's in the cockpit? If life is a joy ride, who is behind the wheel? If life is like a voyage, who is at the helm? You know, decisions always determine direction. We know Joshua said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. Joshua 24 verse 15, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua realized that decisions determine direction. And direction determines destiny. We're going to make the choice of whether to travel the broad way that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Now, we will either ascend or descend at the judgment, but that choice is ours. It all depends on our decisions. Now, there's three possible ways to go about making decisions. Do we make our decisions on our own? You know, some people from the very beginning of their adult life say, I'll make my own choices. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And it's so sad for somebody to make those kinds of choices because that's just what they want to do and what they're determined to do. Other people may say that I'm going to allow public opinion to make my decisions for me. Reminds us of King Saul when he disobeyed the command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He said, the people made me do it. They made me spare the king and the best of the flocks and the herds. Do we today allow public opinion and what is popular with other people to make our decisions for us. A third choice, which I would suggest that we all follow, is that we allow Jesus Christ, our Savior, to rule our lives. It's a difficult walk, but it can be done. We have the promise that we can do it, and all oh, the tremendous reward that can be ours as a result of letting Jesus be the direction for which we live and work and ultimately die in this life. So I just want to ask you tonight, as you think about your priorities, as you think about your life and the way you're living, who is at your controls? It may be tonight that Jesus Christ isn't directing your life. It may be because at one time you obeyed the gospel, but now you've become sidetracked. You may need to come tonight, make your life right. For somebody else tonight, it may be that Jesus has never been at the controls of your life because you've yet to make that decision to obey the gospel. But tonight, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and are willing to change your life in repentance, you can be baptized even tonight for the forgiveness of your sins upon your confession of your faith in him. And so tonight, if you need to respond to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. I am resolved no longer to
Let's pray, please. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto you so grateful at this time, thankful for not only another day, but especially for this great privilege we've been afforded of being able to assemble here this evening as your people for the purpose of studying your word and to build one another up. We thank you so much for the presence of each and every one that is here. We know that there are several among us that are not here, many due to circumstances beyond their control, such as health, and we just pray that you will be with and watch over them, strengthen them, and those that are giving care unto them as well, and if it be your will that they might be strengthened and be able to return to us. We also ask you to watch over and to be with those that are struggling with their faith for whatever reason, and we pray that they will be strengthened, but also that we may be able to minister to them in some way and to bring them back once more as well. As we prepare to depart here, we pray that we will continue to walk in the light and we just ask you to always be with us and to continually keep us in your care. And it is for these things that we ask and in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> 